episode number 23. Welcome back. This is the Expected Returns Podcast. My name is Stephen Lutman. I'm a real estate investor and agent in the capital region of New York State. This is very much a real estate-focused conversation. However, we do also touch on financial markets, economic data, really anything that's going to impact the world of housing. We have a ton of things to get to today. So the intro is going to be pretty short and sweet. The office newsletter did go out to subscribers recently. This issue tackling recent turmoil in the banking industry. You too can become a subscriber if you visit sjlincoln.com join. It is 100% free. There is no spam. You can expect one to two issues per month. And again, that website is sjlincoln.com join. The other thing I want to mention today is that the fine folks over at Saratoga Business Journal and Glens Falls Business Journal were nice enough to have me contribute a piece for their April issue that recently went out. You can find this if you're local at local banks, takeout restaurants, small businesses. You can grab the hard copy. If you're not local or don't happen to stumble across it, you can certainly Google my name, Stephen Lutman, Saratoga Business Journal. And obviously, I'll also link to it in the show notes to this particular episode, so you can grab it there as well. That's it. Nothing else. Let's get into the episode. Where I want to start today is with a conversation about jumping to conclusions. Over the weekend, I had plans to meet with a contractor at one of the rentals. I'm texting with him the night before, confirm the appointment. Yep, 1030. I'll see you there. Perfect. Next day rolls around. 1030. I'm at the property. Contractor is nowhere to be seen. 1045. I'm texting. No response. 11 o'clock, I'm calling, nobody's answering, your boy got stood up. Fast forward 24 hours, still haven't heard from the guy, I'm seething. Now keep in mind, this is someone I've hired for numerous projects over the years, and I'm not claiming to be owed any type of a parade or anything like that, but at the same time, a little bit of common courtesy does go a long way. So I'm brainstorming sarcastic voicemails, I'm going to leave him. Maybe I'll mail him an invoice for wasting my time. Just stupid, petty responses, right? Ultimately, I bite my tongue. I don't say anything. And lo and behold, sure enough, this morning, I get a call. And before I can even say anything, he's apologizing profusely. Turns out his wife was in the hospital. And she's been there for multiple days. Imagine if I went through sending those insane messages. What would that have gotten me? First and foremost, it would have torched a very important relationship for me because anyone that owns rentals or even just your own house in general knows that a contractor is way more important to you than you are to the contractor. Finding someone to do quality work is very, very difficult. So that would have been a ruined relationship that I've spent years cultivating. And on top of that, the guy's wife was in the hospital. I would have looked like a complete ass. All because I didn't wait enough time for all of the information to become available. And it's not every day that mortgage news breaks into the mainstream, but this last week, all of the major media outlets were covering supposed changes to mortgage underwriting standards that would make it less expensive for lower credit score borrowers than it would for borrowers with higher credit scores. All right, what the heck is going on here? First, before we tackle what's going on, let's discuss who's involved in this. Now, at that very absolute top, you have the Federal Housing Finance Agency, and it's this government entity that oversees the two groups you might be familiar with, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It's these two GSEs where the changes that are being discussed are actually going to be implemented. Their role, there being Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, is they buy mortgage loans from banks. Banks make the loans, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac buy the loans. What is being impacted is what's known as the loan level price adjustments. 
Things like your credit score, the amount of your down payment, what type of loan you're taking out, all impact the loan level price adjustments. And this is what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac charges to buy the loans from the banks. Are the headlines true? Is it now worse to have a better credit score? Of course not. Instead of reading other people's opinions, let's go straight to the horse's mouth. What you're looking at here is the brand new loan level pricing adjustment matrix straight from Fannie Mae's website. A lot of numbers being thrown at you. We will navigate this together. And for the audio listeners, I'll do my best to give you the play-by-play on what we're looking at. What you need to know is the farther down you go represents the worst credit score, and the farther right you go means a higher percentage that you're borrowing. Higher loan to value, more you're borrowing. So essentially, the absolute risky of risky should be bottom right. Lowest credit score corresponding with the larger loan percentage, right? Makes sense. What are we keying in on? There is no bucket of down payment where you are rewarded for a worse credit score, okay? The higher up you go, remember, the farther up you go, the better credit score, you will not see a more attractive percentage going back. It's only getting better the higher the credit score. So the notion that a higher credit score is now being penalized is not the case. Now, what's interesting is there are some pockets where a smaller down payment has a better fee percentage. However, keep in mind, when you're putting less down, even if your fee percentage is more attractive, you're being charged that percent on a larger dollar amount, right? Because you're putting less down. So even though your fee might be, your fee percentage might be a little bit more attractive, it's being charged on a larger denominator, if that makes sense. What's the takeaway here? This is what I want you to key in on. Building a solid credit history still matters. Next up, New York State. What a mess. (laughs) Our governor, Governor Hochul, campaigned on a platform that included promises of 800,000 new housing units over the next decade. Now, one stat that frequently gets used is New York has added 1.2 million new jobs over the past decade, but only 400,000 new homes. So the thesis being new home construction hasn't kept up with the amount of jobs coming in. So her plan to remedy this is going to require municipalities downstate to increase housing 3%, upstate 1% every three years. And if you fail to deliver on this, whatever town or village you live in, the state's going to override your housing laws, your zoning, and they're going to come in and make sure that this happens. Believe it or not, this didn't go over very well. (laughs) Massive pushback from areas like Long Island, Westchester County, which are areas of notoriously poor development when it comes to new construction growth. I will now read to you one quote which exemplifies why government does such a poor job solving problems. There is an assemblywoman, Anna Kellis, and she represents Tompkins County as a Democrat, said new housing construction also tends to go hand in hand with significant increases in rent. In light of initiatives that brought new housing to her district, she said the average monthly rent in her area had skyrocketed somewhere between 20 and 40 percent, adding new housing may not be the solution. Well, first of all, 20 to 40% is a pretty drastic range. So the fact you can't nail down a little bit more specifically on that is a bit alarming. But take a step back. Imagine for a moment, I own a car dealership, okay? And I have one car for sale in my dealership on the lot. It's a 1992 Oldsmobile Cutlass. It's the only thing I have. Next day, I introduce 10 brand new Teslas onto the lot, okay? The average sales price 
of course is going to go up because I've introduced more stock at a higher price point. That doesn't change the cost of the Oldsmobile. If anything, the Cutlass is now less expensive because it has to compete with all the people looking at potentially acquiring a Tesla. This is misunderstanding supply and demand economics at a high school level. This is shocking ineptitude. The housing goal, to go back to this, the governor has been promoting all over the state. She's giving speeches, pushing for this, to have it included in the budget. Word started leaking out last week that it was going to be dropped, that there just wasn't enough support to get it done. The opposition is interesting because you would think Republicans being historically pro-business would say, well, if we can open up our zoning, that's going to increase the amount of houses we can build. That's going to be more construction jobs. That's going to be more people moving to the area. I would think that that would go over pretty well. And from a Democrat standpoint, there's talks of hundreds of millions of dollars of government money going into this. This would be funding into areas historically underrepresented groups making up a large population. I would think this would be a massive win for them. So they somehow uh, failed to deliver on this. And the winners were the NIMBYs, the people that don't want new construction. So it seems like Governor Hochul's housing plan, 800,000 new units over the next next decade, not going to happen. And she struck out. This is a bummer. This is a state, and I say a state, New York State has a shrinking population. Increasing the housing supply would go a long way to remedying this. How do you expect a business to move their operations here if their employees can't afford housing? We are competing against states with better weather, with lower taxes. What's the value proposition that New York State brings to the table? This was a great opportunity for politicians to make a big impact. And they dropped the ball. We'll wrap up today with the government owning your home. And if this is potentially the future of homeownership, State of California rolled out last month something called the Dream for All Home Loan. This is $300 million earmarked to assist first-time homebuyers with their down payment. Not crazy. We do see something very similar to this in the state of New York. I believe New Jersey has something very similar. Essentially, grant funding to help traditionally lower-income folks purchase their first house. Here's the interesting wrinkle. Instead of it being a second-position mortgage or a forgiven grant, This is known as a shared appreciation loan. And I had not heard of this before. This is something I had to do a little bit of research on. How it works is if you are approved for the program, and let's say you're awarded $100,000 for the down payment, when it comes time for you to sell your house or refinance your mortgage, yes, you need to repay that $100,000. On top of that, whatever appreciation your home has experienced, you now owe the state of California 20% of that. Who are the winners here? First and foremost, if you are approved for this program, this is a massive win. If this means moving from renter to owner, I would much rather have 80% of some appreciation versus 100% of no appreciation. This is a gigantic win if you are approved for this program. The other winner is going to be homeowners because now there are suddenly thousands of new buyers that just got approved for this program that are flooding the marketplace. And unlike the assemblywoman we quoted from earlier, I know my listeners have more than a basic grasp on supply and demand uh, marketplace. When you have a multitude of new buyers entering a market, what does that do to prices? Pushes them up. So if you are a homeowner, this is great because now you have more people trying to buy your house. Are there losers? Well, anytime there's quote unquote free money being tossed out, someone's going to be left holding the bag. 
First, let's talk about all of those people that saved for years and years trying to accumulate a down payment. And I think the average home price in the state of California is something like $725,000. So even if you're trying to scrape together, you know, a five or 10% down payment, it's going to take you years, most likely to be able to save that. So imagine you skipped out on vacations, didn't go out to eat for years and years to save your down payment. And then suddenly Maybe you didn't make it in for the application funding. I, it was cut off in something like 11 days. They ran out of money. So maybe you didn't make the cutoff. Maybe you made slightly too much money. For whatever reason, you think you've been doing everything right. And suddenly, again, thousands of people just leap, leapfrogged you, leapfrog, leapfrogged you in terms of uh, the, the down payment that they're entitled to. And because they can do up to 20%, their offers, 20% being a down payment, their offers now look more attractive than let's say you came in with a 5% or a 10% down payment. So not only did they get their money for free, their offer now looks better than yours. So if you're trying to do things the right way and save, you just got screwed. You just got kicked in the pants. Um, Are there other losers? You better believe it. Taxpayers. These are risky loans. If you are putting little down or in some cases, 0% down, you have no skin in the game. Something goes wrong with the house. You're much more inclined to walk away. And that's going to be on the burden of taxpayers to pay this up. Because again, that's all of their money going to fund this program. And last but not least, uh, the loser here is going to be the American dream. The government is now funneling 20% of gains away from the American people straight into the coffers of the state of California, right? Because when you sell your house, instead of all of those gains being yours, the state of California is now sucking that money directly out. Government should not be in the business of playing real estate investor. Let the people own their own homes. That's going to do it. Thank you for spending part of your time with me. I know there are many, many options when it comes to sources of entertainment and they're all pulling at your attention. Um, I do know that there's a pretty loyal group that turns in for each and every episode. So thank you. If you did enjoy this, you know, consider sending it to a friend or family member. That's a great way to help make the show grow. If you happen to be living in the capital region and do have a housing related need, I can be reached pretty easily. It's going to be Stephen at sjlincoln.com or sjlincoln.com slash book a call. That is a great way to get a hold of me. And if you are not local and perhaps you just want to chat, the office is active on pretty much all of the major socials. Uh, your best bet if you want to contact me directly, is going to be Instagram. Company policy is direct messages are always wide open. So give me a shout. I'd like to know what part of the show you liked or if you have questions about real estate or anything real estate adjacent. And I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Again, if you do want to connect, it's steven at sjlincoln.com, sjlincoln.com slash book a call. Thank you for support. And we'll talk again soon.